0: All right, guys, good morning. My name is Herrick, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. Uh, and we are, if you're new, we're in a series called Jesus Is. We've been working through the Gospel of John. We're going to continue that in that series this morning. Uh, but before, before I do, I, I've just spent time thinking in, about our community. And I feel like I kind of want to frame this, this message in the context of what's happening in our community I love this community. It's been such a joy to be with you guys in this season, to journey with you. My wife and I moved up here from San Diego, and it's, I've never regretted it. It's one of the best decisions we've ever made in our entire lives. And the reason for that is that I've seen this church come alive. If you notice, this morning, we had Dorian up here, did an amazing job with the kids' moment. We had Heidi praying. We had Ebb sharing announcements, ta- like, we're, a, we're alive. This is a, a community that's alive. It's not just, it's not a, this isn't about, like, one person or even a couple of people. Like, we are a community. I'm so grateful that you guys are stepping into who you are, who you really are. And I love that. And I feel so much gratitude about that. In this community, I know that people have found a place to belong, Some of you just didn't have a place to belong. You didn't have a church that you felt that you could be known in and belong to. And I'm so grateful. And it's not us. It's like it's Jesus doing this. We're simply obeying him, what he wants to do. And so I'm so excited about that. I love seeing that this has become a context for some of you to use your gifts. I I preached on this a couple weeks ago, but this is becoming a context for you to use your gifts to benefit other people, just like we've seen this morning. And that's so so exciting to me. And I have so much hope. We are a young church. We're a church plant. If you're new, we are having our one-year anniversary on May the 5th, coming up pretty soon. So we're uh, technically, I guess, an infant as a church. Uh, We're not a newborn, but we're an infant. And so we're in the very, very early stages of our development. And so here's the thing I have a great hope for us, and I think we can have a great hope that this gospel that we proclaim, and it's not just us proclaiming this gospel, it's you guys reminding each other of the gospel week in, week out. It's you guys demonstrating the gospel through your care and compassion and love and sacrifice for one another. It's this gospel that brings tons of growth. And I'm really, I, hope, I have a great hope, a confidence, really, that that's what's happening here. And I'm not just thinking about numbers, just so you guys know. Uh, numbers are great. If God chooses to bring more people, awesome. If he doesn't, awesome. I'm thinking about the quality of disciple that we're making, not numerical growth primarily, but the quality of disciple that we're making. I'm grateful for what's happened. I have great hope for the future. But I also know that there are things that could hinder what's happening here. We have an enemy who's out to try to slow this thing down. So I want to talk about one of those things this morning that I really think could hinder the growth that we're seeing here and could impact the quality of disciple that we make in this community, and that's this. It's the danger of living out a different script than the one, is, than the one God has given you individually and us as a community. So what is a script? A script just tells a story, right? Uh, every, think of your favorite movie. Your favorite movie is based on a script, it, and the script is huge. It gives you, the, it gives you the, gives the, the story shape. It gives the story definition, direction, purpose, meaning everything. So if you change the script, I was thinking about that this week. If you change the script, you change the story. If you change the script, you change the story. My favorite movie is Back to the Future. And, and if you haven't seen it, what are you waiting for? 1985, it's been out for 30 years. Uh, but if you haven't seen it, it's about a like, wild eyed scientist, Doc Brown, and then this high school kid, Marty McFly. And they have these adventures traveling through time. They go to 1955. They go to 2015. They go to 1985. And they do it in this, dare I say, just sexy, sleek DeLorean time machine. Okay? Stainless steel. It's got doors that open like this, the engines in the back. The roads ahead of us, where we're going sometimes, we don't even need roads, okay? You get up to 88 miles an hour and you travel through time, right? Amazing. If you're going to build a time machine, why not build it with some style, All right. Okay. Except if you don't. If you don't, you have a different story. So I want to read you something. Mine, when I read, when I read this. In the original script of Back to the Future, Marty McFly worked for, not Doc Brown, Professor Brown, who was a movie bootlegger, and the time machine was a laser device that was housed in a room, okay? Time machine's not going in the garage, it's going to my office, lame. (laughs) In the story's climax, the device was attached, I'm not kidding, to a refrigerator, and was taken to the Nevada desert test site for the atomic bomb, where it was strapped to the back of a truck and driven into the atomic explosion in order to harness the power from the nuclear explosion. Marty had to climb into the fridge as the truck barreled towards ground zero. If you change the script, you change the story. Am I right? It becomes something altogether different. That's not back to the future. That's Twister. Twister. Okay? I think Twister was made from the scrap heaps of this script. It's, it's not an atomic explosion, it's a tornado. We've got to drive a truck into it. By the way, I'm not hating on Twister. Yeah, it's average. It was terrifying to me when I lived in the Midwest and I saw that come out because was, it was too real. So, but here's the thing. In today's text, we're going to see that if we change the scripts God has given us, we change the story. And we end up playing a different role. Now, if there's one thing we know about Jesus, it's that he knew his role in the divine script. Am I right? And he played it beautifully. He played it beautifully. And a mature disciple, a quality disciple, is one who is learning to become like Jesus, right? So if we, use, if we follow this analogy, we could say that a quality disciple, a mature disciple, is one who knows and understands the divine script and knows his or her role in it, and plays it out beautifully. Is this making sense? Okay. We're going to read a story today. That helps us to understand how Jesus played out his role, and how he did it beautifully. Turn over with me to John chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. I'm going to give you a little bit of context here. So we're at a point in the story of the Gospel of John where by the looks of things, Jesus' ministry is in a state of crisis. A bunch of his disciples just walked away. Maybe you guys remember that uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood sermon that cleared out the church. That one. That's where, that's the context right now. A bunch of his disciples walked away. He can't even go to Judea and Jerusalem because they want to kill him there. And even in his home, we're going to find out in this story that even in his home in Galilee, his own family doesn't believe in him. So from a human perspective, Jesus is under pressure to turn things around. And maybe you're here today and you're feeling pressure to turn things around in your life. Maybe it's the relationships that you're in or that you want to have. Maybe it's the career that you're in or that you would like to have. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your parenting. Whatever it is, we get to see how Jesus handles pressure and how he sticks to the role that he has and doesn't deviate from it. So John 7, verses 1 to 9. We'll start with verse 1. After this, okay, after the church... Uh, the, the church got cleared out by his, by his sermon after all the disciples left him, or a lot of them did. Jesus traveled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. Okay, the Jews, just think Jewish leaders, the establishment, the Jewish power brokers, it's not every, everybody in the Jewish community, just the, these ones, the leaders. They had it in for Jesus. Verse 2, the Jewish festival of shelters was near, so his brothers said to him, here comes the kind of pressure... They said to him, leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So what's happening? Here's what you need to do, Jesus. Do this, and then this, and then everything will be fine. What is that? That's a script. Follow this script, Jesus, and all will be well. Does anybody see any potential problems just off, right off the bat with this potential script? Where do they want him to go? Judea. What could happen to him in Judea? Yeah. Oops. We could get Jesus killed with this script. It's a Bit of a problem. Okay. And by the way, I don't think that was intentional. I think the brothers were like out to get Jesus. Sometimes it's, it's read that way. I read commentators this week who were just like, hey, they knew that Jesus, part of his plan was to be known. So he's like, go and be known. If you're here to be known, go and be known. So they meant well. They meant well. I believe they meant well. Verse five, for not even his brothers believed in him. Okay, this is a hinge verse that helps explain what's coming next. Verse six, I'm going to read the rest of the verses and I'll explain what I think is happening. Verse six says this, Jesus told them, My time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Go to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said these things, he stayed in Galilee. What just happened? I think this is what Jesus is saying. I think he's basically saying this, brothers, I can't follow that script. I can't follow that plan. I can't follow your timeline for me. I'm here on a mission. I'm active duty. I'm on deployment. I'm under orders. You're civilians. You can go into town and hang out. That's totally fine. I can't move until I'm authorized. The town people hate me and what I represent. I'm here to overthrow the evil powers that rule and control them and their land and set them free from the tyranny that they're under. But right now, they don't want that. And they can't see it. And so they hate me. They don't hate you because you're one of them. Go on ahead to this festival. It's not my time yet. Does that make sense? Jesus knew the call on his life. He knew his mission. He knew his purpose. He knew who sent him. It was the Father. He knew his Father. He would no more take orders from another person than one of our enlisted guys overseas would take orders from me. Or better yet, take orders from a civilian who's living under ISIS when they're trying to liberate them from ISIS. Does that make sense? Even if that civilian means well. Jesus was not pressured into doing anything. He wasn't distracted from his mission. And obviously the implications for us are massive as a community. We need to get what Jesus is doing here and why if we want to grow up as quality disciples who make quality disciples. Is this making sense? So here's the main idea for today's sermon from this text. This is what I believe Jesus did and what he modeled for us, and I think it's going to be up on the slide. Main idea, if you're taking notes, write this down, put it in your phone. Everything we're going to talk about is going to flow out of this. It's focus on God's script for your life, not other people's or your own. Focus on God's script for your life, not other people's or even your own. Okay, so here are my kind of two main points. We're going to flesh this out two ways this morning. Point number one refuse to become distracted by the typical human script. I think this is how it's going to play out. Number one, refuse to become distracted by the typical human script. If you're taking notes, you can just write down typical human script. We're going to flesh that out. And then two, embrace your role in God's divine drama. We're going to start with the typical human script. then we're going to talk about God's divine drama. So number one, refuse to become distracted by the typical human script. What do I mean by that? So think about Jesus' brother's plan. I've kind of come up with this term, the typical human script, and really all it means is just a plan that distracts you from the will of God. Just a plan that distracts you from the will of God. And here's the thing, I've been thinking a lot about this this week. It is not easy to identify these plans. Let me say that again. It is not easy to identify a plan that would distract you from the will of God. Here's what I mean. I have four, I love making lists, four things that I noticed that make it really hard to identify this kind of human plan, this human agenda that can distract you from the will of God. Number one, it may be entirely reasonable. It may be entirely reasonable Think about Jesus and what his brothers are saying. Jesus wasn't trying to hide himself. He was here to be known, and his brothers are like, if you want to be known, be known. Here's a plan. It's reasonable. Number two, it may be appealing. It may be appealing. "Um, Jesus, you just lost a bunch of followers, and this is a way for you to get your mojo back. (laughs) Appealing. So be reasonable. Reasonable appealing, number three, it could promise success and blessing. Man, if anyone knew how to rally a crowd, it was Jesus. If anyone knew how to empty a crowd, it was also Jesus. But he also knew how to rally a crowd. You're fantastic, Jesus. Go do it. You can crush this. Reasonable, appealing, promise success and blessing. By the way, these three things aren't wrong. That isn't necess- If you are following an agenda for your life that includes these three things, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. There's a fourth thing, and this is the biggest one. Make sure you write this down. The reason why a typical human script kind of distracts you from the plan of God is that it disregards God's plan and timing. It disregards God's plan and timing, for your life. And it trusts in somebody else's time or planning or your own. Is this making sense? Yes. It's made in unbelief. It's made in unbelief. It's not made in faith with you know it's not it's not a plan that's birthed in, in faith. It's made in unbelief. It can be appealing, reasonable, promise success and blessing, and ultimately it could be totally an unbelieving plan, because it distracts you from the will of the Father. So I want to ask the question, are you distracted this morning? from the script that the Father has for you? Are you focused on a different one, potentially, the one God has for you? I was thinking about this, about this particular idea this week, and it hit me, the American dream. Yeah. Yeah. The American dream, which is buy a house, live debt-free, retire comfortably. That is the American dream for baby boomers, for Gen Xers and millennials. And I thought that as a, I'm a millennial, so I was like, we've moved on from this. We haven't. Not at all. And as I chewed on this, our american the only reason that the, the millennials, that I sometimes feel like I'm not living the American dream or pursuing it is because millennials tend to place a higher emphasis on purpose and passion while pursuing the American dream. We want an organic, grass-fed, BPA-free, American dream. <laughs> Think about it like toast. The American dream got a little stale for us. It's like, ugh. You know what you need to do? Put a little avocado on that. <laughs> toast. Mmm. That American dream is delicious. Here's the thing. We can dress it up, but it's still toast. Am I right? It's still toast. We're going to buy houses. We're going to get rid of debt and we're going to retire comfortably, and we're going to do it ethically. Yeah! You know what I mean? That's the millennial American dream. And so if you're here and you're like, okay, I get it. I'm tempted by this typical millennial American dream. Okay? Here's the thing. if it's not, If that kind of life, if your life and your decisions are not flowing from an obedience to the will of God... It's a typical human script. That This isn't just the American dream. How about this one? Find your soulmate, get married, have the dream wedding. Fall in love, live happily ever after. Typical human script. Totally typical. I'm not anti these things. I kind of did that. I'm not against it. But if it's something that distracts you from the plan and the will of God, it's not helpful. Does this make sense? I'm not anti-BPA-free, organic, grass-fed living. It's great. But if, 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 if this American dream is taking you away from the will of God, it is not going to help you in the long run. It's not going to help you fulfill what your true calling is and live out your true story. What is that story? If you are here and you are in Christ, your story is that you are a new creation. You are forgiven. You are made new. And you have a new purpose for your life, which is to grow as and make disciples, to become more like Jesus and help others become more like Jesus. Any plan that takes you away from that, it's a typical human script. It's toast. God's offered you filet, and you're chewing on toast. Even if you put a little avo on that, it's still toast. Is this making sense? Are you guys with me? Sorry if I've ruined anyone's dreams this morning. Sorry not sorry, really. Cuz I want something better for you. I want you to live out the script that God has for your life, not this typical human script stuff. So, are you pursuing life in obedience to God's time or planning? If not, you might be changing the script and thereby changing the story. It becomes no longer about, my story is no longer about God bestowing an identity on me, growing into his likeness and sending me into the world to bless it. It becomes about me. And we can become distracted by these things very easily. I'm susceptible to this. Let's just own it. We are susceptible to this. You You guys with me? We're susceptible to this. This is the air we breathe, okay? If this helps at all, it might help you guys see that our culture isn't Christian. We don't live in a a Christian nation, okay? I'm sorry to burst bubbles here. (laughs) I am. But we need to get away from thinking that this typical kind of American life dream stuff is Christian. It's not. If it's lived in obedience to the will of God, great. But if it's not, it's something else altogether, so I want to tell you guys a quick story. When I was 15 years old, I want to, this, hopefully this will help you guys see what I'm talking about in terms of a plan that's not fulfilled in obedience to the will of the Father. When I was 15 years old, what do you guys think was on the forefront of my mind? What's the number one thing that I was thinking about? Whoa, I heard baseball? Okay, girls, Jeez. okay. What do you think is the number three thing that was on my mind when I was 15 years old? College. Driving. Jeez. (laughs) Just driving, guys. You start when you're 16, typically. All right, cool. So, uh, sorry, I've been sick a little bit this week. If my nose is, whatever. So I had my own script for how my first drive was going to go. Do you know what it was based on? This little movie called Ferris Bueller's Day Off if you've ever seen it. It involves an epic joyride in dad's Ferrari. So mine involved an epic joyride in dad's Volvo. So I had a script from my own life for how this driving thing was going to work out. My dad had a totally different one. You know what his was? Driver's Ed. It It was a Toyota Corolla with two steering wheels and a brake on the other side that the guy could hijack at any point if I was making bad decisions on the road. Or if I made him nervous. Okay? I became very impatient with my father's script. So I came up with my own, based on Ferris Bueller's day off. <laughs> and so my mom and my dad love going to the movies. If you wonder why I have so many movie references, I was discipled into that. And so like it was like their weekly movie night, and I was like, this is my chance. So I waited until they left. And then I waited until they for sure, like my mom didn't leave her purse or something where she could come back. And they were gone long enough and I was like, this is my moment. Click, open the garage door, grab the keys to the Volvo, sit in the car, turn it on. Oh, It was just the most amazing feeling in the world. And I had to be really quiet because I had brothers. and I didn't want them to know. And it was, they were upstairs, they couldn't hear it. And so I slowly back out of the driveway and I stopped. And I'm real nervous because I'm looking around. What if my neighbors see me? What if, what if I drive out and I just see a neighbor go like this? I'm calling Carmen Berga. <laughs> and I look around and it's like, okay, nobody, it's dark, it's nighttime, nobody sees me. So I, so I put the car in drive and I start going, slowly. I'm still waiting for a neighbor to come out and just be like, <laughs> nobody comes out. So I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> you know, just floored it. I started driving around. And I do like a loop around my neighborhood, and then I hit the kind of main street. and I'm like, I gotta use my blinker. So I put the blinker on, turn back around, and come down my, my street, and I stop. And I'm like, we're going again. That was too fun. My heart was racing, it was exhilarating. And so I floored it, going up again. And so we come back, I come back around. Not we, it's just me, definitely just me. Come back around. And now I'm like, oh gosh, mom and dad are going to get home, I'm going to get caught. So I'm nervous, my heart's racing. And so we have a driveway that kind of is angled like this, and then it goes like this. And I was coming up a little quick <laughs> up the driveway. So what I needed to do was reach for the brake. Uh, I really, need, You know what I needed? I needed a guy next to me with a steering wheel who could go like this, the brake. But I didn't have that. So what do I do? I'm coming up the driveway, I hit the gas. and my brother comes out he's like what just did a bomb go off oh you're an idiot (laughs) you saw what happened basically I think um my house the the house I was living at the time was built right around the Ferris Peeler's Day off came out and so somebody was like we need to put a post here because some idiot 15 year old is going to drive through this driveway is going to drive through this wall so my car hit a post and stopped which is great the problem was that there was a shoe rack, a wooden shoe rack that my mom put in the garage that I hit and it went, I sent it like a projectile through the wall into our laundry room. <laughs> that was the bomb sound that my brother heard. <laughs> if I had recorded it, I would have had to put a disclaimer at the end of the movie saying like several shoes in a wall were harmed in the making of this film. So, <laughs> why do I tell this story? I had a script for my own life, for how my first drive would go, and my dad had a different one. Mine was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. My dad's was Driver's Ed, and I can see why now. And as I thought about it this week, thought about us, you know, our relationship with the Father, and I was thinking about it, I think we have kind of a joy-writing, joy-writing bent in us, don't we? With respect to the script that the Father has given for our lives compared to the timing and the plan that we have for our own lives. Along the way, the collateral damage is way worse than a shoe rack and, and a hole in a wall. When we live out a different script than the one that God intends for us, we, qu- we compromise, I'm going to slow down and say this, we compromise the quality of our discipleship. Not just your own, but those you are called to disciple. Everybody in here, if you're a Christian, you're called to disciple other people. It's not just about you. You're called to replicate yourself. and it compromises our ability to make disciples and grow disciples. Why? Because we're distracted from the will of the Father. And we're not embracing the way of Jesus, who had a laser focus on the timing and the plan of God for his life. Sadly, this distraction also affects our relationship with the Father. It doesn't sever the relationship, but it affects it. When I got home, what do you think my dad did? I was disciplined, and we had a little talk. Understandably so, rightly so. So here's the thing. You may not be out for a joy ride, spiritually speaking. But let's keep this driving analogy going. You might be in the car. God might even be driving the car. And as part of his divine script for your life, think of it as him taking you somewhere. He's taking you on a journey, right? Discipleship is a journey. Let me ask you a question. What's it like being in the car with you? What's it like being in the car with you? Are you a backseat driver telling God what he should and shouldn't do? God, you should really take this off-ramp. That's where I want to be, up there on the hills. There's success up there waiting for me, recognition, power, money. There's a spouse, a a better spouse. Take me there now. Or maybe you're like, God, you really shouldn't take me down this street. It's windy. I can't see to the other side of it. It's scary, it's hard, it's painful. Please no, don't take me that way. By the way, if that's you, for all of these, there's so much good news I'm gonna tell you about in a minute, but I almost can't help myself. Like, Jesus also went through that in the garden. He was scared. He was sweating blood. But what was his word? It's like, Father, not my will be done, yours. It's okay to be scared that doesn't mean that we bail on God's divine script for our life. Or maybe you're like, get me off this street, God. Take me back to where I was, to the way things were. Don't drive down that street, God. There is somebody down that street I do not want to talk to. God, I don't like how you're driving. You're driving too fast. We just passed the exit that I wanted to go on. God, you are going too slow. We are, it's going to take forever to get there. Do you tend to be a backseat driver? Do you have moments where you become a backseat driver? Or maybe you're in the car and you're forcibly like trying to turn the car a certain way. You're just like, get this door, by force. Or maybe you're in a really tough spot in your life and you are just about ready to tell God, stop the car, I'm getting out, I'm finding my own way. I think for many of us, what's probably going to be mostly the case, most days is just, being in the car and just being distracted, just like looking out the window, looking at everything, not really paying attention to the Father. Or maybe you have earbuds in, and you're just wrapped up in your own world. Or on these rare moments where we feel like a dog, just putting our head out the window with our tongue out, just loving the air and the breeze. Like, if you're, that's your mom, if that's your moment right now, praise him. That's amazing. That's really cool. It's a gift. What's the drive like for you today? What do your actions and attitudes in the car communicate about your trust in God, about where he's taking you? Is there distrust and patience, distraction? If you're a disciple and you're honest, it's probably a mixed bag. We are a mixed bag. I certainly am. I imagine if, if we were to sit down and chat, you'd probably feel like a mixed bag as well. Yet, in order to become like Jesus, my first point, if you're taking notes, we must refuse to become distracted by the typical human script. How do we do that? How do we do that? Are you guys with me? Yeah. Point number two we embrace our role in God's divine drama. Embrace your role in God's divine drama. <clears throat> How did Jesus react to the potential distraction? The typical human script that his brothers give him, the competing plot line that his brothers introduce. Verse 6 says this, Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. Jesus refused to be distracted from the Father's will. In fact, we've heard him say that if you've been with us, we've heard Jesus say the words, my food is to do the will of God. That's what he lives for. That's his sustenance. Jesus embraced his role in God's divine drama. Which in this case meant waiting, saying no, and opening himself up to the possibility of criticism and misunderstanding. I want to say this. If you follow Jesus, you will, or you have already, probably had to say no to something that's reasonable, that's appealing, that promises success from a human perspective, to say yes to God's plan and timing for your life. That's a mark of a mature disciple. That should be celebrated, not dreaded. Does this make sense? Maybe it was a romantic relationship. Maybe it's a career move, a relocation, a big purchase. That's got to be celebrated when we say no because we want to say yes to God, no to the thing, say no to the script to say yes to God. On the flip side, if you follow Jesus, you likely have or will have to say yes to something that might be less appealing, less reasonable, and less promising from a human perspective. Maybe it's something that you wouldn't choose for yourself in order to say yes to the plan and timing of God for your life. Again, that's a mark of mature discipleship that should be celebrated, not dreaded. Is this making sense? And I'm so glad to be able to say, I think that's marked the lives of many people in this community. And so I say, that's you, well done. Well done. In fact, I'd say this community was birthed out of this. Tom and Eb moved, left, they left here years ago to go to San Diego to be part of a church plant. They had a nice, they had a house here, they, they, they had a lot less in San Diego, I'll just say that. And they did that for us, for our restored uptown community that we were a part of, and the blessing has been enormous, and they've kept obeying that call. That's not just for church planners. That's for you and for me. Is this making sense? That obedience brings a blessing to the world, focusing our lives on the divine script, not on the human one. They had to say no. I'm not going to get into it. You could ask Tom later, but they had to say no to some really exciting opportunities to, to say yes to this and to everything that came before this. And that is a reality. But look, you guys appreciate this community? Are you happy that this is here? This is God, okay? I'm not, I don't want to say this is Tom and him. It's God doing this, but I want you to see how he uses human decisions, he uses human obedience to do this. Are you guys seeing this? By the way, Tom didn't ask me to say this stuff. I'm doing this. I want to honor him. Um, there's no paycheck, there is, whatever. They, <laughs> My point isn't to, to puff Tom up and ebb up, it's just to show you guys, and this isn't just them. it's Andy Rogers in San Diego, it's Brad Sear in L.A. It's, it's Danny, and it's not just the lead guys, it's, it's people in the community that have radically re- reoriented their lives to be a blessing, to obey the father's plan and timing, even when it didn't make sense. So if that's been a part of your life, well done. You can have more of this, and you have no idea what's going to come of your obedience. And I have good news. Even though we're a mixed bag, even though we go through seasons of hardship and distraction when we're not as focused on what God has for us, and we might even feel like we lack purpose and direction, or sometimes we say yes to God's plan or timing and we still feel disillusioned because obedience doesn't always necessarily lead to an immediate blessing in the sense of, like, getting what you want. While we're a mixed bag... Today, in terms of embracing our role in the divine drama, there is one who totally embraced his role and played it perfectly, Jesus. He's our hope. Jesus left heaven, the perfect script, angels singing to him, worshiping him, serving him, to become a servant for us. He took on flesh, and he identified with us. He took on our humanity. Do you know why he came Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost, you and me. He came for those who struggle to obey. He came for those of us who disobey. He came for those of us who are struggling in the car with being backseat drivers, trying to take the wheel, or just being distracted. He came for all of us. He came to forgive us of our sins. He came to give us new life and to set us off into this new way of Jesus. He's making us new creations. We're on this process of discipleship, of slowly becoming like him and helping others become like him. That was his script, and he played it to perfection. And you know what that means for us? Life, salvation, eternal life that starts now. Now he lives in us. And this is the, one of the things that I felt like I want to just make sure is clear. He doesn't just give us an example to follow, he empowers us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. We have no hope apart from his Holy Spirit. He's empowering us to say no to the typical human script and instead to embrace our role in God's divine drama. Is this making sense? From a place of forgiveness, from a place of acceptance, from a place of relationship with the Father that can be as rich as his own relationship with his Father. So what does it look like now, for us to embrace our role in God's divine drama. If you're in the car, maybe you're out for a joy ride. stop the car and come home. If you're out for a joyride, stop the car and come home. Your dad is good. You may experience discipline, but it's always for your good. Come home and, and grow into who you are as an adopted son or daughter. If you're a backseat driver and you catch yourself just constantly criticizing God or complaining or you're irritated or angry or whatever, you can stop and say, I'm sorry, God. I have been a backseat driver and constantly critical of your driving. Please forgive me and help me to grow to trust you and your timing and your plan for my life. If you're wrestling God for control of the wheel, just release it and say, help. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill everybody in this car. If you're distracted by the surroundings or you have your headphones in, take them off. Start to listen to what the Father is trying to say to you through his word, through his spirit, and through the community around you. Is this making sense? Here's a big one that I want to end on. If you're in the car and you see a brother or sister struggling, you're not alone in this car with God. There's other people in it. It's a church. It's a family. It's not an individual. It's a family. How do we want to respond when we see others struggling in the car? Here, I'm going to say this. Please, fight to not give them a typical human script. Which might sound something like this, if we keep the car analogy going. It's fine. We're going to turn off here in a minute. God will give you what you want. Right, God? What does that look like? Let's say, I don't have time to get into a ton of illustrations, but I think a simple one is like, let's say somebody's struggling in their singleness. Do, do we do what is so common... And give them the script of, oh, but you're so handsome. You're so beautiful. You're so godly and smart. God's got somebody for you. You just wait. Honestly, this has the best intentions in the world. We want to affirm the person. We want to comfort them. We want to give them hope. But here's the problem. It might not be aligned with the will and the plan of God for their life. Does this make sense? So this precious brother or sister whom Jesus died to give purpose and meaning to, instead of reinforcing that, we might point them to another source of meaning and purpose. Is this making sense? You guys seeing how like small moments we want to encourage each other are actually huge moments to reinforce either a typical human script or encourage people to embrace the divine drama that God has called them to? Is this making sense? Oh, we want to point them back to the gospel. Remember, our Father's good. He proved it by sending his only son for you. Even though you were his enemies, he was pursuing and seeking us. We can trust him with our lives. Let's go talk to him. Let's trust him. How about this? Whether or not you get married, I don't know, but you will be married one day. You will have your wedding day. You're going to be dazzling, radiant, beautiful. Is this making sense? How much better is this than... Don't worry, God's going to give you somebody when we have no idea what God's going to do. Forgive my passion, but I think we really do mean the best. But we really are living in a world that is not Christian, that defaults to these things that are not the will of God. So the big thing we want to do is point them back to the gospel and then help them obey Jesus, whatever that looks like today. What does it look like to obey God's plan today for your life? What does it look like to obey his timing is this making sense? And this is not an individual project. This is us together as a community doing this. The early church did this. In Acts 1.8, Jesus gave the early church a script. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That was their script. And they faced pressure, didn't they? John and Peter were arrested at one point, what did they do? How did they respond to the pressure? Acts four twenty three to 31, I don't have time to read it, but they basically got together. They remembered the gospel. They prayed for boldness and they confessed their trust in God. We can do that as a community when we feel pressure. Are you guys seeing this? Is this making sense? Am I just totally like beating a dead horse here? I want to make sure that this is clear. Anything other than this, pointing them to the gospel, asking for power and for boldness to obey, it's not God's script for their life. And you might be reinforcing a false script. It's beautiful. I do want to read Acts 4, 32 to 36. What is the fruit of this kind of a life and community? Listen to this. And I just want to ask the question, do you want this? The entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. Instead, they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and so on. Are you guys seeing this? There's a generous, sacrificial, obedient love that comes from this kind of living. Do you guys want that? It's scary. Don't get me wrong. It's scary to think about giving up your stuff. It's not your stuff anymore. It's not just your life. But that's what it means to be like Jesus. Jesus didn't say, like, oh, it's my life. I get to do what I want with it. Or I get to obey, like, the culture. Or even my, my, my family. It'll be my father. I want to call the band up. I want to close with this kind of, I want to tell you guys a little story here to close out. Not really a story, but it's just like, imagine this. Imagine that you're in the car with God and with your brothers and sisters. And imagine that you've imperfectly but faithfully worked through your fears, your concerns, your desire to tell God how to drive, how fast or slow he should go, where he should go. You've worked through the distractions and you're there. God's taking you somewhere, right? Imagine that you've driven through some really scary turns. You've endured fog and rain going up a mountain and snow. At some point, the visibility just drops down to zero. And you've narrowly avoided accidents along the way. You get to the top of the mountain, and you're like, what was the purpose of this? This was just scary. What do you find? A car broken down on the side of the road, a stranded motorist and their family. And then God the Father's like, this is what we came for. Come on out of the car. Take this blanket wrap the people in there, and bring them into our car. Then you realize the drive wasn't just for you. It was for others. God is rescuing people, and he wants us to be a part of it. Is this making sense? And then it hits you. That was me. That's how I met God. My car was broken down the side of the road, too. And he sent people to rescue me. And now he sent me to do what he did for me. And then you realize, God's not punishing me by taking me on this scary drive. That's hard and scary at times. He's not torturing me. He's sending me to bless the world, just like he sent his son to bless me. And this drive, which will not be marked by comfort, ease, worldly success necessarily, it certainly will not be marked by the absence of pain and suffering. Why? Because it wasn't for Jesus. It was not marked by, that, by comfort for Jesus, so it's not going to be for us but it is marked by an obedience that leads to blessing for the world around us as we walk in his will. You guys see that? Here's the good news. That sounds overwhelming. Jesus went first. He did it perfectly, and he did it for us in our place. His life mattered, and now your life matters. Your obedience matters. So I just want to close. I just want to ask you the question like, How might you be putting pressure on God to act according to your script? And are you open to talking to him about that? To work through it? God's a good dad. And good fathers and mothers parents have to tell their kids no sometimes. And have to tell them to wait. We know that if our kids get everything they want, they're going to ruin themselves. In their timing. If I didn't say no to my kids or let's wait... They would have gotten run over by a car already. They would have gotten lost and they would have overdosed on popsicles. (laughs) As children get older, they understand the importance of timing. They understand that their parents want to protect, the good parents want to protect, care for and nurture them and prepare them for life. God isn't all that different as a father. That said, do you want to trust God with the timing and plans for your life? If you do, you can start to obey him today in a fresh way. Is there anything that's distracting you from God's plan and timing for your life? Is there anything? And if so, are you willing to give it to him and entrust him with it? Maybe there's things that you know you're called to do that you're avoiding. Are you down to pursue them in obedience? Maybe, maybe you have a conflict with your wife that you need to resolve or your, your husband. Maybe you've got beef with your coworkers that you need to work through. Maybe God's called you to do something and you've just delayed. Are you down to take the steps to begin to obey? Your obedience matters when you're on a mission from God. And so I'm going to close with that. I'm going to invite you guys to stand up if you can, if you're able. <laughs> and I'm just going to pray for us just going to pray. We have about 10 minutes. We'll be able to sing a song. But I want to pray for us. So, If you want to close your eyes or you just want to chill, I'm going to see if God has anything for us this morning. to mind is that he, he goes before us. He has gone before us. So if it feels overwhelming, he did it. He's already defeated death and Satan. He's crushed the serpent's head. And so we don't need to be afraid to obey because he's obeyed in our place. I actually get a picture of like <laughs> uh, Doc Holliday from Tombstone. Have you ever seen that movie? But he's a character, really famous. And he went before his friend and saved his friend from death. His friend was about to be killed. Doc Holliday went ahead of him. I feel like, almost like Jesus is saying, like, I've already gone before you. You don't need to be afraid. You get to walk in what he's already done. So I hope that encourages you today. I'm gonna to pray and then sing. Father, thank you that you've sent your son to go before us. Thank you that Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfilled your divine script for his life. Thank you that he's empowering us enabling us to go forth in obedience and and love and serve him and become like him. I pray that you would help us as a community to really reinforce not the typical human script but the divine drama and our roles in it, Father. We love you. Please protect us from distraction that would take our eyes off of your will for our life and send us into the mission that you have to be a blessing to our workplace, to our families, to our children just like Jesus was for us. We love you and we thank you. In your name, amen. Let's sing.